0: Welcome back to Shark Stories, and I'm again joined by my co-host Sarah Andriotti. And today we're going to talk about Black December 1957. It's known all around the world for people that love sharks, I suppose, people that love blood for that matter. There's nothing that's ever happened like this again that I know of, and and Sarah will keep me honest. Black December 1957 occurred on the east coast of South Africa in an area, uh, what we call the south coast of KwaZulu Natal, and. The distance between them is about 100 kilometers between nine different attacks. Thankfully, shark attacks are so rare that we don't have to worry about them most of the time today. But most of the time did not include this event. During the short stretch of time, nine people were attacked by sharks along the coast of KwaZulu-Natal, South Africa. Six of whom died of the injuries. Believe it or not, that was just the beginning of the weirdness. Started on December the 18th, 1957 when a 16-year-old boy, Robert Worley, was attacked while bodyboarding just outside the city of Durban in a little town called Carradine. And he lost his left leg from the knee down and part of the same thigh as well. This was very, very gruesome when they brought him to the beach, but it didn't raise too many alarms because at that time, Durban was seen as an area where we had shark attacks. And it already that installed gill nets um, in Durban. So I think it was around the early 1950s that gillnets were put into, just into Durban Bay and nowhere else. So no, no, not many alarms were, were raised. Just two days later, however, 15-year-old Alan Green was fatally attacked while simply wading in the water. And this was um, 100 kilometers away from where the first attack happened. And then people started to pay attention. Just a scant three days after Green's death, Vernon James Berry was also killed while calmly floating off Margate Beach. This was only three kilometers away from the second attack. The second attack was in a a town called Ivongo and this one was in in a town called Margate. And a phenomenon that had previously been mildly alarming became a full-on panic. Three attacks within a week, including two fatalities, were decidedly not normal. Another three days went by and then Donald Webster was attacked at Port Edward. Port Edward is 33 kilometers from the third attack. He suffered bites to the head and neck, but miraculously he survived. Black December posed not only a safety risk to those living and vacationing in the area, but also a serious economic threat that could have left many people without jobs. The coastlines of South Africa are subtropical paradise, so its businesses and the people who work for them rely heavily on tourism. So this was significant. The scientific community has learned much about sharks since 1957, but back then, the best idea the government had to control the shark problem was to equip lifeguards with rifles and direct them to shoot at any scary shadows they saw. When that didn't work, they bombed the sharks with depth charges. But effectively what this did, it just killed boatloads of fish more sharks came. So that was maybe one of the more (laughs) intelligent. I'm
1: sure it sounded like a great idea at the time, but it was not. (laughs) I don't think it (laughs) was. We have a problem with shark. Let's chum the water a little more. Exactly, exactly. That's what they did. Hmm.
0: The last idea was to build a barrier with wooden planks, and you know very well with your experience in building shark barriers Um, into the ocean. They dragged it into the ocean bed, but it's got such an aggressive surf action in Natal that that was destroyed in no time. But the attacks did not stop. Actually,
1: they didn't stop, right? They had.
0: They did not stop. They
1: had more after they started bombing the area than before.
0: Exactly. They had more attacks. So there was a total of eight shark attacks during the period, and there was one extra one in April. So if you had to consider the whole period of time, there were nine shark attacks mentioned. But while government was toying with various terrible ideas, sharks continued to chomp on guys. Julia Painting lost her left arm while wading in the water, and an unknown man was killed while fishing. Just after the world rang in 1958, a male was killed while taking his last dip in the ocean before heading back to Landlock Farm. For those keeping count, that seven attacks, four of them fatal within three weeks, such a relentless ambush over such a short period of time, had never been seen before and hasn't been seen since. And then finally, there were, there were finally two more attacks that closed out the nine attacks, and it just devastated the region. But Sarah, there's a whole lot of different reasons. There's, there's three significant reasons that have come out of it that, um, that could have played a role. Whaling was still a big thing in KwaZulu-Natal at that time. You know, they have uh, summer rainfalls, and so there was a lot of the rivers had all burst their banks, and there was a lot of water that was going out to sea and there was also increasing construction and apartments so there was a lot more people there so do you think these are critical to to what actually happened because it's just, it's just insane that nine people in such a short period of time
1: yeah, it's always a combination of factors, right? So you have heavy rain that does two things: the the river will bring to the ocean a lot of carcasses, and you have sharks that are uh, opportunistic, like bull shark and tiger shark. Whether white shark are more selective in what they eat, they're very fussy. So bull shark and tiger so, so shark, well, a eater. they're very fast eater actually. <laughs> um, so that could have been one reason. If they were having construction plus heavy rain, that could make the visibility in the water more um, a drop. And murky water are notorious for making sharks um, happier to go and find easy meals, because sharks try to ambush their prey. So if the water visibility is lower, it is easier for them to to find prey uh, without being seen. Right? Um, I can't believe they bombed the water. It's just yeah, oh, that uh, is and insane. if you if, you know if you look at it, only th- there were three accident before, then they started chumming, bombing the mm-hmm. water, and then you had a lot more after. There
0: was a significant amount. Yes.
1: After. So is it the shark's fault really? I mean it's always a tragedy when things like this happen, but what caused it, I mm. think, is the is the core point. Um, were the sharks particularly hungry and looking for easy meal for that period? Or we actually made things worse. Mm. And and if you look at it, this attitude of close the beach Panic, actually panic, then close the beach and kill the sharks. It didn't really change in the last 80 Mm. years. eh?
0: But then that's a question I would then ask is, is if you could be transported back And you had, uh, uh, with today's mindset, what would you do differently to what the officials did then?
1: If I was back enough before they happened, I would have suggested people to don't go swimming. But if it was Mm. right in the middle of it.
0: I'm saying in the middle of it. In the middle of
1: it. um, It would have been trying to educate people better, which is the same thing we are actually doing now. We feel as if we know a lot more about sharks. And we do, compared to 100 years ago. But the reaction to this kind of traumatic event didn't change that much. People still panic. Municipality still closes the beach. And we still have shark nets in South Africa, mm. Australia. New Caledonia in um, the Pacific there is a French island. They had a couple of shark accident and they decided to go out and cull bull shark and tiger. They put them out of the protected list of shark species so the fishermen can go and reduce the shark population because they bite somebody. So these... The problem is and into the education. It
0: just doesn't fit in today's It doesn't
1: age. fit and doesn't work. And mm. it makes more damage than anything else. Yeah. So if I would go back in time, I would do exactly what we are doing now with our current work, trying to get people to know better to reduce the chances. Mm.
0: I need to bring up the point once again about the rogue shark because there was three attacks within three kilometers, but there was one in between that was 33 kilometers away. So that's quite close. Once again, and in the 60s and 70s, when people told the stories of Black December, they talked about the rogue shark theory.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, that is like, like we say before, um, having the rogue shark makes things easier because then people want to go and kill that one shark that is responsible and then the problem is solved. But it's more complicated than that. Um, I would say that bull shark could have been um, much more uh you know, the species that could have been responsible. But it was summer and white shark in summer tends to go inshore because they they prey on, on close to shore species of, of rays and fishes. And we saw that in Falls Bay, Hans Bay, Mossel Bay, Algoa Bay. They move seasonally inshore during summer. So it's, it's just a combination of things and the wrong bloody reaction.
0: Mm, exactly. You know? So, the, so it could have very much so, so multiple sharks which is which yes. is what I believe but and, and it could have been between it could have been a ti- I mean a lot of tigers around the Scopra area um, um, but bull sharks like you say is very much um, loves that type of bad visibility yes and then the great whites there was some very, very big, great whites yes. there in the,
1: and there were more than there used to be. I yeah. I thought that Kazuru Natal Shark Board started after Black December. you Yes, see?
0: no, no. So the municipality or the borough of Durban,
1: yeah,
0: had their own shark gill nets in okay. place, and the the Sharks Board as an organisation started after, after Black December. The but anti-shark,
1: but was it was it was called, it was anti-shark, called the anti-shark measures. Shark board. Measure.
0: Correct. The amount of nets, I mean, there was there was north of forty-three kilometers of shark gill nets in place. And the percentage of of harmless animals and non-targeted shark species—it's mind um, blowing. It's
1: mind blowing. Is, uh, is mind blowing. Uh, it's a fishing gear. Uh, yeah. People don't realize these things are not to keep sharks out. These things are to reduce the number of sharks straight uh, away.
0: Sarah, just because you know you often long for the the seas that were not damaged by man, you mm-hmm. know, in, in overfishing, etc. But we do have places around the world currently where you do sometimes have. Uh, a spate of incidents. I could, um, mm-hmm. fourth, uh, reunion, reunion yeah. is one where there's significant activity. Then there's Recife, mm-hmm. which is Brazil, so the yes. northern part of Brazil, northern t- uh, South America, and then also our very own uh, second beach in in Port St Johns, where
1: and Platte last year. That and was Platt a disaster. And last year. Yeah.
0: So it just shows you that we can coexist. We just need to really think about how we go about it in a better way. Yes. Thank you, Sarah, for joining me today in this podcast. I thought it was very interesting. And I look forward to our next episode. And we're going to cover what they term the world's worst shark attacks. Um, And that is the Indianapolis, the sinking of the Indianapolis in the Pacific during the Second World War.
1: Thank you. I hope I'm not giving bull shark a bad rap here because diving with them is actually amazing. They're they're really, really nice. Um, But we mustn't forget they're also predators, right? Thank you for listening to the shark stories. We build this podcast so that people can look at sharks in a different way.